Hello and welcome to the Carnage Report, where we bring you the latest on all things horror-related, keeping you up to date with news you can use. I'm Nick Spacek. And I'm Julie Holland. The Carnage Report is part of the Cinepunks podcast family. Go to cinepunks.com to find entertainment news, reviews, and other great podcasts like Horror Business, Twitch of the Death Nerve, and Tomb of Ideas. If you want to help support Cinepunks and ultimately this show, you can become a Cinepunks Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash Cinepunks at a C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Also, please go check out these great sponsors like Essex Coffee Roasters. Essex Coffee Roasters offers specialty grade coffee roasted to order for the most fresh and delicious homebrewing experience. Essex is committed to accessible quality coffees, offering education on coffee and brewing to all of their customers. Essex Coffee Roasters believes you don't have to be a coffee expert to enjoy a great cup of coffee. And right now, if you go to their website, essexcoffeeroasters.com, and use code CINEPUNKS, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, you will get 10% off. Also, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations is the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley, but maybe also the world. Personable and professional, the only place where you get punk rock attitude with professional service and printing. You can find them at XLVACX, and you can find many of their fine products uh, through the Cinepunks affiliated uh, merch store, I guess, for lack of a better term, Rough Cut, uh, as well as any of the shirts you get from Cinepunks are made by LVAC. And maybe someday us if we ever have shirts. (laughs) Perchance to dream. (laughs) All right, it's time for the setup, and the getting to know you question that I picked for today is related to the film that we'll be talking about, which is, how well or for how long would you need to know someone before going on a weekend getaway to a remote location? Now, I would say my answer is different now than when I was younger, For sure, (laughs) because I feel like when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I did so many like road trips and overnight trips with people I was like maybe like acquaintances with where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to Wichita to see this show. We're going to stay at my parents' house and sleep in their basement. You want to come? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, or it's like, yeah, we're going to go on this trip. You want to come with us? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, like, you know, go camping, you know, with people I you know one person i knew and then like their friends who i had if i had ever met them at all had Mm -hmm. known you know had met them maybe once or twice for like an hour at a party or something Mm -hmm. uh yeah and i was just like fearless and all of that and now i don't know if it has more to do with like social anxiety or anything like that but it's the idea of spending a bunch of time with somebody i barely know in a remote location like uh, horror not even coming into this yeah just the horror of making conversation yeah just like so um hey uh i don't know like if there were like if it was you know activity activity adjacent you know that'd be one thing like oh we're going out there for a hike or for a music festival or something like that that would be one thing but i yeah i feel like the the terror um it's kind of like the the discussion i was having with coworkers today about like immersion tanks and things like that like where it's mm. just like oh no the idea of being alone with my thoughts and nothing to look at for an hour is more terrifying than anything and i was like Pass. yeah <laughs> Yeah, the but the idea of being like trapped in a cabin in the woods for like two or three days with people you have you may or may not have anything in common with is just horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree what about with you? that. Um, I agree that my answer is definitely different than it would have been twenty years ago, and I think a lot of that is because I've learned my lesson, not <laughs> even out of danger, but just out of like. There are some people, friends that I've known for years that are on the, I don't cross state lines with you, or, you know, we don't travel more than 20 minutes or whatever. Like there's no overnights with certain people. I've learned a lesson by overnighting with them. Like not anymore. As far as a stranger. mm, No, I feel like at this point I would need to know you for like a year before going on just a one-on-one getaway to a, a remote location where there's nothing else around. I'd have to really trust someone not to like leave me out there i was watching um i don't know if you watched uh sissy on shutter 
Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's really good. I recommend it. But the premise is this girl, Sissy, reconnects with her like childhood best friend. And just at the exact time that this other girl is getting married and having a bachelorette getaway and talks her into going. So she goes with this person she hasn't talked to in like 20 years or 10 years. I don't know. They're not that old. So probably like 10 years. And then and all of her friends that she's never met before. And and then she has no way to leave when it obviously sucks because it's going to suck. <laughs> so even before the horror kicks in, she's stuck with these people who obviously suck and she can't leave. And that's my nightmare. So really getting anyone to get me to go away with them without my own vehicle is it's going to be a, a it's going to be a, a long thought process at this point in my life before I do that. Yeah, like I think like if it were like a city trip, it would be different, you know, where it's like, you know, you're mm-hmm. connected to public transport or you can get an Uber or whatever and get the fuck out of there. Like yeah. that would that would be like one of those. I'm like, yeah, sure. As long as we're, you know, not sharing a hotel room. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that just sounds awful. Like having to share, you know, like a 12 by 12 space with somebody you barely know for like two days. Like that's yeah. Like that's, I actually have that coming up for South by Southwest. I'm sharing a hotel room with someone I've never met in real life. <laughs> oh, God. She seems nice. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I'm guessing we'll be too busy to really have much time in the hotel anyway, but yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like Needless that is to say I'm nervous. <laughs> I feel like that's the mark of a good trip where it's just like the hotel. All it needs to be is a place for you to sleep and, you know, like clean. Like, yeah, that's that's all I want. I've stayed at some places where people are like, well, but it doesn't even have a TV. I'm like, if I am watching TV while I'm like on a trip, the trip is a failure anyway. So, yeah. Oh, I would like to hear other people's yes. <laughs> interpretations of this, if especially if you're younger versus older. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a story about a time that you went away with someone or a group of people and it, it went bad and you learned a lesson. <laughs> I want to hear all of those stories. Hit us up on socials. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So for The Gate this week, um, our newish segment where we ask horror creators the same question, what was the horror that first hooked you? We spoke with Jeremy Kessler and Scott Appleby from the new soundtrack label Mystic Vault, who just announced their first vinyl release, the score to the 1980 Don Dohler Oddity Fiend, um, which is also available through Light in the Attic. Um they have some very interesting uh answers for us uh and uh there will be a full interview coming with them to um starburst soon uh so here is the interview um and you're gonna hear uh jeremy first i mean the easiest one for me i think is my first memory of any video um would just be um when my babysitter brought over like monster squad i think that's the first first video i ever watched Probably. And I must have been like four, you know, like my first house in Jersey. And yeah, just to, just that, you know, just being obsessed from then. Monster Squad, the gate, all that stuff. The classic shit from that era. Yeah, like I. Uh, the first thing that I got really obsessed with was Jaws. Like it wasn't really like the deep stuff. Uh, I loved Jaws. I would watch it like I was kind of like a weird kid. Like I would watch it like multiple times a day. And like my mom thought that I was insane and uh, she was like very concerned uh, about this weird fascination I had with this movie and I would just watch it on repeat. Um, But after that, we had like our local video store was actually in a in a uh, it was called like the butcher block and there was like a video store in like this like butcher um, place. And I would always just rent horror movies uh, at that place. And it just kind of like went from there. But um jaws was like the first thing that kind of like got me hooked and then after that it was like you know ghoulies and all that kind of stuff as a kid just whatever you could get your hands on ghostbusters (laughs) that's the first memory movies i remember is ghost the real standard stuff i remember uh uh, jaws i remember like phase four (laughs) i remember going to like you know all the all the everybody's got these 
stories or whatever but mine i guess was like going to the video store and like just like picking up phase four and like looking at the cover of that thing with like the ant eating out of the human hand and just being like what the hell is this thing and i wish just, my video store was more interesting i was like mine wasn't that great but you know our video store had like <laughs> blood diner posters and i i'm and like motel hell and all that oh, stuff i would just awesome. stare at that stuff and be amazed um my family was definitely like worried uh <laughs> about my brain but <laughs> you're watching all that on repeat yeah i think so now, now i guess it makes sense for them and now they can uh, be happy that i did some productive it all makes sense it worked out <laughs> it's time for new nightmares this is a roundup of trailers new to streaming coming to theaters soon and all the other news we've come across in the past couple of weeks first up uh this was uh news at the end of october and somehow we didn't think to mention this um but um the producers of smile are getting ready to do an adaptation of the adam uh, I can't remember. I can't tell if his last name is Caesar or Cesare uh, novel uh, clown in a cornfield. Um, and it will be directed by Eli Craig of Tucker and Dale versus evil and written by Carter. The script will be done by Carter Blanchard. Um, I have read this book. And as a matter of fact, in preparation for this episode, I burned through the sequel uh, clown in a cornfield to Frendo lives yesterday um which goes even harder than the original um the synopsis of the book um it's very long uh <laughs> quinn bainbrook and her father have moved to tiny boring cattle springs missouri to find a fresh start but what they don't know is that ever since the bay pen corn syrup factory shut down kettle springs has cracked in half on one side are the adults who are desperate to make kettle springs great again and the on the other are the kids who want to have fun make prank videos and get out of kettle springs as quick as they can it's a fight between old and new tradition and progress and a fight that looks like it will destroy the town until Frendo the Bay Pen mascot, a creepy clown in a pork pie hat, goes homicidal and decides that the only way for Kettle, Spring, Kettle Springs to grow back is to cull the rotten kids, crop of kids who live there now. Uh, the book's great. It's super fun. It's very violent. Um, it is surprisingly categorized as YA. <laughs> like, wow. I'm like, it goes like the like it's. It, it gets into a lot of stuff and it's very, very fun and has like a really um, interesting uh, perspective to it. And the sequel is even crazier and you can find both of them uh, hopefully at your local library, which is where I got mine. Um, and I really recommend reading it. And I can't wait to see. I think Eli Craig is the perfect person to do this. I need to read those still, but I'm excited regardless. Hopefully I can get them read before the movie. All right. Next up. Some sad news, which is that Netflix has opted not to renew The Midnight Club for a second season. Boo. Boo. Um, but for those of you who did watch it, who want to know what happened to everyone, Mike Flanagan, the hero that he is, has <laughs> taken to Tumblr. That's still an active website. Tumblr.com slash Flanagan Film. You'll find his post detailing everything that he had planned for the characters and the story going forward. Obviously, I'm not going to read that to you here because that would be wild. And also, I still have an episode to watch, so I don't want to read this. But I can tell you that it is detailed, it is long, and it is thorough and, and long in a good way. Like, it's it's going to answer every single question. And God bless Mike Flanagan for that, for not leaving us hanging. I mean, you would almost think, well, hold on to some of that because what if somebody else picks it up? You know, like, you never know. But I guess... He didn't want to hold on to it. He didn't want to leave us hanging. So he put it all out there and we are grateful. And also, I recently started following Mike Flanagan on Instagram, which is mostly just where he puts his TikTok videos that, that <laughs> I just am not on TikTok very much. Anyway, it's a delight. You should do that as well. Well, I have something new to add to Instagram. Yeah, no, this post, it will make you so happy. And it's usually it, this is the sort of thing that you usually read like five or ten years later. 
like where it's yeah, just instead like, of right now yeah yeah it 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 made me very very happy um to read it and also well also a little sad but mm-hmm. yeah it, i don't i feel like they didn't give it enough of a chance but i don't know i don't know how they make these decisions i have no idea how netflix works at all yeah so um based on paul tremblay's 2018 novel knock at the cabin uh is written and directed by m night Shyamalan, uh and they have a new poster for it um that shows um the characters um from the synopsis which is uh while vacationing in a remote cabin a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand that the family make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse with limited access to the outside world the family must just decide what they believe before all is lost so this picture has the um four strangers uh it standing in front of the cabin uh holding uh implements of terror um there's also implements of gardening i think uh, yeah, one of them is an axe that you use to make cabin timbers, and I don't know how I know okay. that. Uh, <laughs> that's the one that Dave Batista, Batista is holding. Um, he's very easy to pick because he is very big. Um, but um, yeah, this book, I am very curious to see how they turned it into a movie because it is there's a lot of weird stuff going on um, and it's very talky, um, but in like a really terrifying sort of like way. Um and it will be in theaters February 3rd. It looks intriguing. And I love Dave Bautista. So I loved the book. So I can't wait. Another book I need to read. Have I mentioned I'm bad at reading? Bad at making time to read. All right. <laughs> Next thing. I'm sure that you have all heard about Cocaine Bear. Even people who aren't into horror. And I don't know for sure that Cocaine Bear is fully horror anyway. But it's gruesome enough that it counts for us. It's a monster movie that counts. Yes. Fair. Counts. So this is helmed by Elizabeth Banks. And it is about the true story of a bear who gets into millions of dollars worth of cocaine. However, the movie is not true story. What, What actually happened is some drug smugglers dropped their cocaine over a forest because they were going to get caught. A bear ate it. The bear died. It was very sad for the bear. Maybe he had a fun few minutes before he had a heart attack. (laughs) I don't know. But in the movie, this bear is going to murder a bunch of people. And they show us a fair amount of that in the trailer. We see arms and legs ripped off. And if that's the trailer, I have to assume and hope that the movie is even more splattery with even more coked out bear tearing people to shreds. Um, I'm excited. I was... I was concerned when they heard they were doing this because I was like, because I knew the story of Cocaine Bear. And I was like, well, as far as the bear goes, it's not much of a story like the the smuggling story, maybe. But the bear, I think he just died. <laughs> I don't think anything happened. So they've clearly taken a lot of liberty and uh, had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Starring Carrie Russell. Um, <laughs> also, yep. evidently, Ray Liotta's final role uh, as, as the, uh, drug- as the drug kingpin. um if you want to hear like the full story i I know a lot of true crime podcasts have done it i'm pretty sure there's a my favorite murder episode of it and i'm pretty sure because i think that's why i know about it one of the animated shorts is all they also did featuring cocaine berry and it's uh Mm -hmm. cute and adorable as much as they're doing cocaine (laughs) i believe that's where the joke it's like i want to talk to you about my restaurant idea uh comes from but yeah no um there's also a great story on uh yahoo entertainment uh that tells the whole story if you don't want to listen to a podcast um Mm -hmm. (laughs) i can't like this the the poster is so out there like i saw it in the movie theater and every single person who walked by it last night was just like wait what (laughs) and i i don't think this is an official tagline but what the the tweet containing the poster says don't coke the bear which (laughs) that's very clever i love that (laughs) Please let that be the official tagline. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh in 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 uh sad news. Um at the uh end of November, uh cult icon, cult director Albert Pion uh passed away uh at 69 um in Las Vegas uh from uh complications from dementia and multiple sclerosis. Um 
small budgets, big concepts uh, is how bloody disgusting described it. And it's like, if you've seen an Albert Pion movie, you know it. Like uh, things like Mean Guns, The Sword and the Sorcerer, Kickboxer 2, The Road Back, uh, Captain America, Cyborg. Like, I think I think if mm-hmm. anybody knows anything from Albert Pion, uh, it, it is the uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, film Cyborg, uh, or perhaps fans of this podcast know like the cult uh, favorite radioactive dreams, which I think might be categorized. This is like actual good movie. Uh, but uh, regardless of uh how quality they were they were always entertaining and it's uh it's a it's a real shame to lose uh somebody who who you know did did it with their all yeah that is too bad in lighter news there appears to be a parody horror film about the grinch though they never use that word because i'm sure they're not allowed it is called The Mean One. It stars David Howard Thornton from Terrifier 2. He, uh, he looks perfect in it. I mean, he's obviously a good, I don't think character actor is the right word, a creature actor, kind of bad guy actor. Um, other than that, I don't know anyone specifically notable. It looks pretty low budget, although the Mean One costuming and makeup looks really good. Um, this is going to come out soon, right? Uh, it comes out on December Friday. 9th. Yes. It says in theaters. I don't know which theaters. I haven't heard anything about it coming to Regal. Theaters. Nick knows. Okay. It's coming to Regal theaters. Just... At least. So if you have a Regal nearby, uh, go looking for it. The trailer's really fun and it's very the story, you know, but horror, which I think it always should have been anyway. Honestly, who's scarier than the Grinch? He's terrifying. He, I mean, he's in your house while you're sleeping. That's scary. It should have been a horror the whole time. So I'm officially intrigued. I watched it this weekend. <laughs> oh, you're ahead of us. <laughs> I would, I got a screener for it. Uh, and I think because this episode comes out uh, before the, just right as the movie is releasing, uh, I think it's past the embargo. Uh, yeah, I watched it Friday morning because my cats woke me up at 5 a.m. And so I got up and did a bunch of cooking and then watched this while I was doing all of it. Um, it is the strangest combination of <laughs> like horror comedy, slasher, and like Hallmark Christmas movie <laughs> you've ever seen in your life. Um, the action is obviously very good because um, the star, um, Cindy, you know who, um, uh, is played by Crystal Martin. And Crystal Martin is a um, evidently a, uh, I was not aware of this until I started looking it up. She's evidently a very uh, accomplished stunt woman um, oh. who has, I think she did some stunts for like Brie Larson in uh, as Captain Marvel and things like that. Um and like the action scenes and all of that are good the acting is <laughs> it's fine um but uh your mileage maybe may vary but i think if you go in expecting what you get you'll be you'll have you'll it's a fun way to spend an hour and a half nice and if you if you would like to hear a synopsis here it is uh in director Stephen Lamort's movie, Thornton plays a hairy, green-skinned grump in a Santa suit who viciously despises the holiday season. From a mountain high above the town of Newville, young Cindy You-Know-Who, whose parents were butchered by the Mean One 20 Christmases earlier, is returning to seek closure. But when the Mean One launches a new reign of terror that threatens to destroy Christmas, Cindy finds a new finds a bold new purpose, trapping and killing the monster. Tagline, slashing through the snow. I just I don't understand how this is getting released, but um, the People's Joker um, still hasn't gotten an official release and keeps getting pulled from things. Yeah, I mean this this picture is the Grinch. Like I don't know how <laughs> they're getting away with it. There's no question. There's is one hundred percent. Oh, that's the Grinch. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, speaking of slashers, uh, there is an upcoming new one that just filmed, uh, finished uh, filming in Connecticut. It is called Founders Day, directed by Eric Bloomquist, and it is a contemporary murder mystery set in the midst of a heated mayoral election on the eve of a quaint New York, New England town's tricentennial. Um, 
I do love a holiday set slasher. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a made up holiday for the movie, but um, it's a holiday we are not a part of. <laughs> yep. I have a feeling that it involves a lot of political stuff based on some of the quotes I've read. So it, it, the fact that it is a slasher for the world we are living in right now. <laughs> so yeah. um, that should be interesting. Yeah, that looks exciting. All right. On to something that is apparently not a slasher because I what I read is if you are disappointed it was because you were expecting a slasher uh dark star pictures has required has acquired excuse me extreme french horror megalomaniac um there's not a a lot in the synopsis that tells us what this is actually about it is uh megalomaniac questions the invisible line between victim and executioner and how it is crossed a film about the weight of patriarchy and the illusion illusion of men manichaeism <laughs> that's even a word i'm not super comfortable with yeah. saying or knowing what it means so it's french extremity i think that's probably all you need to know if you are a hard i don't want to question anyone's hardcoreness but you know if you can handle french extremity or if you can't so if french <laughs> extremity is something that is up your alley i figure you're probably going to watch it regardless of what it's about I'm thinking it must be uh, pretty sociopolitical, kind of sounds like, and then really violent and really, um, I think there's probably a lot of violence against women, it kind of looks like, in the, but yeah. hopefully there's some revenge in it too, I don't know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, that will come out next year. There is no specific date, but it will come out in theaters and then digital, VOD, and physical from Dark Star Pictures. Yeah, as near as I can tell, it's uh, somewhat based on an unidentified serial killer uh, in Belgium in the mid late 90s called the Butcher of Mons Mm -hmm. and uh, who was never found. So So, um, I'm sure that will make for a real positive experience watching this film. Yeah, the trailer itself was upsetting and you really don't even see much. So prepare yourself emotionally for this one if you're going to check it out yeah even if you're going to watch the trailer the trailer is just like one of those because there's no voiceover there's really no dialogue it's just a Mm -mm. series of very bleak horrific images um if that's your jam check it out yep um in much much lighter news um uh coming uh to theaters in on june 16th 2023 from lionsgate is Tim Story's The Blackening, um, the uh, co-written by Tracy Oliver and Dwayne Perkins, um, who I saw do stand-up at KU something like wow years ago. No, wait, wrong Dwayne Perkins. Um, I'm thinking of someone else. Uh, anyhow, uh, The Blackening is about a group of Black fans who reunite for a Juneteenth weekend getaway only to find themselves trapped in a remote cabin with a twisted killer forced to play by his rules. The friends soon realize it isn't a game. Um, it is based on a 2018 Comedy Central short of the same name, which you can find on YouTube, and it is hilarious. It's really uh, funny. Uh, but yeah. Uh, stars Antoinette Robinson, Dwayne Perkins, uh, Cinqua Walls, Grace Byers, X Mayo, uh, a lot of other folks, including uh, Jay Farrow, and evidently has gotten a bunch of great reviews from folks who saw it at the TIFF Midnight Madness screening earlier this year, uh, uh, early last year, and now I want to see it too. Me too. It looks good. All right. One more little quick bit of news might pertain a little more to the Kansas City area listeners, but I think because it's virtual, everyone can appreciate this. Panic Film Fest, our local horror fest that is uh, genre exclusive, has announced its dates. It will run from April 13th to April 23rd, 2023, with the 13th through the 19th being in person and the virtual festival being the 14th through the 23rd. Um I've been I've been eagerly awaiting the dates and I'm really excited this year that they told us like which weekend is in person because I always have to try to guess based on the dates <laughs> they give us which re- which weekend I need to arrange myself but I'm really excited. 
Uh, and uh, passes are available now if you want to get somebody a really awesome Christmas present. Yeah. All right. I think that's all our news. That's our news. You have very good taste in art. Well, thank you. Do you work for a gallery or a private collector? I have plans this weekend. The mystery. Yeah, mystery man. What's right? What mystery man? I brought that record I was telling you about. Oh, great. To art and beauty. And the night ahead. Have you ever experienced anything weird here before? And now it's time for our feature presentation, which is Travis Stevens' new film, A Wounded Fawn. The synopsis is, a man brings his new girlfriend to an isolated cabin. It would be idyllic if he were not hiding his compulsion to kill, which manifests in vivid hallucinations. Unfortunately, his intended victim is being warned and ultimately fueled by the Furies, the Greek goddesses of vengeance. This was one I had been looking forward to for a really long time. And then like finally getting to see it was just like, it was, I thought having seen Travis Stevens previous two movies, I would know what I was getting. And this is totally different than the other two films he has thus made, which was uh, starting with 2019's Girl on the Third Floor and uh 2021's jacob's wife yeah this was nothing like those and unlike those also did not have cm punk in it in any way (laughs) (laughs) but yeah totally different uh than either of those um just really stylish and cool not that those weren't cool they varied in effectiveness for me but but this one yeah this was a complete departure i thought yeah, it's like it has. Uh, I, I think a lot of people um, have pointed to the fact that it is very much like a giallo, even though it isn't a giallo, in mm-hmm. that like it looks amazing. And while you might not know exactly what's going on, like the atmospheric part of it is so effective. Like the the feeling and the tone of this movie are just so spot on like the colors are amazing the set design is amazing the character designs of like the furies and all of this stuff just like knock out uh and it's also like shot on 16 millimeter so it looks Mm -hmm. and it's because it's then blown up it's like really really grainy but like you know it's so like warm it's like listening to a vinyl record i mean that's the vibe of shot on film things anyway but yeah I think people get are getting that giallo thing too from the fact that the blood is that thick, bright red paint-like blood. Yeah, somebody explained that to me. Like what the the entire difference is between like why giallo blood looked the way it did, and why they stopped using it because evidently it was really gross and stained everything. Uh, oh. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does. Like I got to interview Travis Stevens. Uh, you heard part of that on the last episode, but. Like one of the things like I really noticed about this movie is that like even if it's not the the same as his previous two movies, like it does follow in like that you get like shitty dudes really getting their comeuppance. Yeah, and, for sure. <laughs> um, but this one it's in a much different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like I realized I'm like, I cannot remember any Greek mythology while I was watching this movie. Um, it was I, I was I was like you learn a lot 
actually mm-hmm. like it's it's very um like there are very strong knowledgeable women in this movie as as, as in like his previous two but i mean like so much in this one yeah i had to look up a lot of stuff to write my review for downright creepy on on this one so i was like all right what's that statue what does that mean who are these people what is it what is all this i gotta figure this out and while i i don't know that the statue that is at the center of the plot is a real stat a real life sculpture but the uh the furies definitely are so yeah Um, I, what was it? I read a review. Um, I think it was the one on RogerEbert.com where it's just like y- there's something refreshing about a movie where a key plot point revolves like around a character's ability to accurately appraise a piece of ancient Greek <laughs> yeah. sculpture. Um, and that is one of the more normal parts of this. Yeah. Film. I mean, the whole first part of the film like it all it's i mean it's he's a serial killer and that sucks but it's all realistic it's all okay this is pretty straightforward and then when it takes a turn at first you're like oh so something supernatural is going on like maybe the house is haunted or something or you know what what else is happening and then it just goes batshit and you're like is he seeing things is she seeing things who's who's seeing things who's not seeing things what's real what's not is I don't think the giant red owl that tells him to kill people is real, but I I wish it was because it looks really cool. (laughs) I don't want to kill people, but I wouldn't mind a giant big red owl friend. Exactly. Just like offering you suggestions about how to live your life. I think it would be fantastic. Have this wine with that meal. Oh, okay. Thanks, owl. (laughs) There's there is something about this movie. Like it's it is. Uh, of all the movies I've seen this year, this is the only one that kind of comes close to Barbarian in that like mm-hmm. halfway through it turns into something totally different, but it totally fits with the half that came before. Like it's yeah. it's not like I know that there are some people like who watch movies like this and they're like, how how do you just all of a sudden switch tones and have it like be, be the same thing? It's like. Well, because I mean, like it's from a different perspective and it accurately depicts that so well that you're just like, oh, uh, you know, uh, how can I say this without it being spoilery? I feel Mm -hmm. like the first half of the movie is like for the most part, um, the museum curator meredith played by sarah lind and then like the second half is from the perspective of bruce played by josh rubin the um Mm -hmm. you know the serial killer um yeah that makes sense because that's when it starts to get completely unhinged and and you're in his head and there's clearly something wrong in there and you don't know like what what is really happening, you know, to some extent, to some extent, you're like, well, none of this is really happening, but there's some things that are, you're just not sure which things you're pretty sure about some things, but then there's other things that you're like, did, is that final? Did that happen or, or no? Um, And it ends up being really cool. And, and obviously some of the things that Meredith starts to experience before the shit really goes down, you don't know if that's real either. Because there's like voices, you know, or something out of the corner of an eye. And you're like, is it haunted? That's obviously a warning. But is it just is that just somehow the personification of her own red flags? Because we learned pretty early on that, you know, in her free time, she likes to Google, Google, Google murders and drink wine with her friend. So she's a murderino and she had, you know, she should be getting these red flags because she knows this stuff in addition to some very overt literal red flags on the drive to the cabin <laughs> there's just like red flags <laughs> and she goes anyway um yeah and she and she clearly doesn't know this guy and goes with him which i think is a little weird but we do learn that she's also coming out of a bad relationship and jumping in again so we can chalk it up to just a bad decision that went really bad just hope like that's yeah um and for all of this discussion about like very heady topics, this is also a movie that is very like it 
Hickett, like the violence is, the, I, I think, the other Giallo esque mm-hmm. aspect of it. Where I mean, it is a uh, lot of lot of things being shown in like wide shot, <laughs> just like no, you get to see you get to see what this happened. This happened, uh, and then there's some pretty horrific, um, uh, realistic aftermath of it that is just like. <laughs> and the the murder weapon that Bruce uses is, I mean. I don't know that it will become because this isn't something that's like a slasher franchise, but if that was used in a slasher franchise, it would become iconic. It's such a weird, unique weapon. Uh, I asked all about this and it was a very interesting answer, but ultimately didn't make it to the printed version. (laughs) But it's like it's an actual thing. It's not like something they made up for this. It's like like an assassin's weapon or something. Um, and I guess the one they used in the movie, by the end of it, it just fell apart. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, like, it's a very good thing. They, they very specifically, like, the cinematographer made sure that they got, like, a good close-up, like, full shot of it. Because otherwise, there would have been nothing to show at the end of the movie. And it's so, like, it looks so cool. And, like, when he's using it to, like, rap on the door... Like, it's mm-hmm. just like it lends that like extra element of like if you were on the uh, like when you are with Meredith and hearing him like tap on the door with it, you're just like, oh, if I heard that, I would immediately know that I do not want to open that door ever. Yeah. You're like, I'm fucked. <laughs> like, I, would just, I would just rather starve to death within that door. Like, just like, all right, um, I guess I'm going to break a mirror and slash myself with it. Like, because that'll be faster than whatever's on the other side of that door yeah terrifying terrifying weapon terrifying weapon just amazing like it it is a movie that i have a feeling will invite multiple viewings like i i know i just as you sort of mentioned like the whole idea of like things out of the corner of your eye and stuff like there are things that do happen like so quickly that you're just like wait and you don't want to spend the entire movie like jumping back 15 or 30 seconds Mm -hmm. because you'd be doing it throughout the entire thing yeah yeah i i watched it twice because i watched it at fantastic fest and then i watched it again to review it and for this and definitely like after the first watch i was like okay i think i liked that that was weird it was a good time though and then on the second watch it was like no this is this is probably going to be among my top of the year like it it's so smart. It's so beautiful. Like you could pull any scene out and hang it on the wall. And it it's just every scene is shot so beautifully and framed so beautifully. It, and and it's set in this beautiful mid-century modern house that <laughs> is clearly not a remote cabin in the woods. <laughs> and the it is one of those movies where essentially it is, with the exception of like some interactions. Uh, early on like pretty much every scene in this movie is, is just like a, a duet like it's just two people mm-hmm. um or in some cases just like one person screaming in the woods yeah um, like it, it it requires the leads to really really have to be on their game mm-hmm. and um like yeah josh rubin and sarah lind are just both superb uh in their in their roles can we talk vaguely about that last scene and how long it is for starters how it's just it's like the the formula for if you tell a a joke (laughs) it, it goes from being funny to this is too much like the joke keeps going it's a lengthy joke it keeps going okay this is too much this is ridiculous and now it's back around to funny again because you committed to it for that long it's kind of what that scene is uh it's the joke like if you hit somebody with a car once it's funny if you do it twice it's a little absurd three times it's just like come on but by the time you hit them with a car like nine times it's the funniest thing ever yes (laughs) and essentially the final shot of this movie continues on static shot unbroken Mm -hmm. all the way through the credits yep and it is one of those things where you're just like oh this is going to end it's no mm -mm, no no, it just keeps going i'm not gonna we're not gonna tell you what it is we're not gonna tell you what's it it's in relationship to it but i will let you know that it does keep going all the way through the end of the credits and the sheer commitment of the acting in it uh i mean just Wow, Josh Rubin had to really 
get into that for an extended period of time. Yeah, it's you you just you even now knowing what I know, like, I'm pretty sure that I like just replaying it in my head. I'm just like, man, they just went for it. Yeah. And it's great. Like It's it's the perfect ending to this movie. And I really hope they got it just in one take. Like, I hope they didn't have to do it multiple times <laughs> because someone was laughing because I was definitely it's not it's not that it's funny. It's that it's absurd. Mm-hmm. So at some point you're just like laughing because you're like, it's still happening. It's <laughs> still going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it, definitely worth your time i if you haven't watched it definitely go watch this movie it's i don't know if you could say it's a lot of fun but it's interesting and it's a good story and it's beautiful and it's scary yeah uh yeah we both really liked it (laughs) (laughs) yep um so normally this would be the point where well, oh, first of all, we'll we'll tell you that you can find it on Shutter. It's it's mm-hmm. it's available now. Uh-huh. Uh, and the problem is, is like this is the point um, where we would tell you like good movies to watch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I was trying to think of things that would be a good recommendation, and the only thing I can rec I can even think of. That's re- like obviously barbarian. I think okay. hit like that, but like if you want to watch a, a, a giallo with a, a weird like weapon you've never seen before, um, you can watch the nineteen seventy two uh, Luciano Ercoli uh, giallo uh, "Death Walks at Midnight," which features this like crazy weird spiked gauntlet uh and that's literally the only thing i'm just like and that's just kind of sure it hits the same vibe but barely um but it's this is a really unique film it's there's nothing like it it's i mean good job travis good job (laughs) yeah congrats all right We'd like to welcome a wounded fawn actor josh rubin to the carnage report thanks for coming on sir Thank you for having me. How are you? We're, doing We're good. Yourself? Very well. If you hear a little hum in the background, it's just a space heater in my cold, cold bedroom, hence the uh, lack of video, so you don't see how lavishly I live. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapped in blankets. <laughs> All right. So to kick off, what drew you to a wounded fawn? What drew you to the project? Oh, man. Well, Travis Stevens is a visionary director. I love his previous work. And he basically sent me a DM and said, I know you're a filmmaker. Are you still interested in performing? And I said, yes. I read the script and I realized uh, if I had an epiphany, it was was a dream role. I got to play the villain and the terrorizer and the bully, but also uh, I got to be intimidated and terrorize myself. Um, playing this narcissistic psycho getting raked over the coals by these feminist furies. So it was a a dream role and a dream project to be a part of. Awesome. Now, what's the difference between something that appeals to you as an actor versus what appeals to you as a director? Um, That's a great question. I mean, as an actor, it's what can I, um, what can I live embodying who can i what character can i live embodying world can i uh get excited about embodying playing um it's a physical gig just as uh filmmaking is a physical gig but you know you want to make sure that it will it will um, be mentally satisfying and um entertaining just as a filmmaker at least for me personally an entertaining time it's like uh you know you're going away for summer camp and working with other campers so to speak you want to make sure it's uh it's going to be a good hang um but but also that uh the project is something you want your face to be a part of and you want to go sort of promote after the fact um but yes will my instrument best serve this thing and then as a filmmaker it's can i live with this camp or being the camp like guidance counselor the camp director the camp creator for a year and change can i live with this thing for 
uh, morning, noon, and night. Um, can I live in this world morning, noon, and night um, and orchestrate and guide every single element of it? Um, I hope that more or less kind of articulates the uh, the allegory. Um, but um, but that's a great question. Absolutely. So you mentioned that this was a dream role and the character is really uh, different than a lot of other roles that you played and very intense. How did you prepare to become Bruce? Well, I just, um, there wasn't a terrible amount of prep. I just, I did <clears throat> lose a little bit of weight. I, I put myself on a diet of, you know, pretty much things that I don't like to eat, like, you know, <laughs> I, I, salad. Um, and uh, because this guy is a seducer, so I wanted to, yeah, you know, don't really consider myself like uh, Mr. Hot Stuff, but Travis was like, this is a handsome guy. He's a predator and he uses his intellect and his looks to kind of, you know, lure these people. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I got to lose director bod. Um, uh, so it was a little bit of that. But then it was just like um, digging my heels in and staying as grounded in my in my body and my voice as possible and uh, just experimenting with how he might um, act wearing his mask versus exposed. You know, mm -hmm. he's an over-articulator. He's a show-off. He's peacocking to kind of lure uh, people in. Um, uh, he's extremely self-important. But how do you play self-important in, in, you know, through a sort of narcissistic mask, um, masking something or someone monstrous? Um, so just trying to, I would, I would have something sort of experimenting with, you know, that sort of Patrick Bateman thing of a very sort of, um, uh, I don't want to say thoughtful way of speaking or articulating, but he was very calculated to a degree in how he was, he presented himself because he was masking something you know, pretty horrendous and something he didn't want to expose, especially the vulnerable side of himself. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, did the, the weapon help you at all in that role? Like, was there a learning curve in figuring out how to use it? Not terribly. So we had, so it's called a bog knock and it's actually a, an assassin's weapon that originated out of India, which is pretty wild. It's used essentially to, um, to make the public believe that someone was killed by tiger attack and not by an assassin. Um, and so wearing it, you know, we had a real one and we had a duplicate and the real one is quite heavy. I think if anything, it didn't so much inform my character except that I did love the image of him having, you know, an extension of his normal hand is a claw. Um, and I, I love that just kind of conceptually and how he handled it, that he would clean it. I love that Travis put that detail in there. Um, it didn't inform a whole lot, but I, I, I love the kind of um, that it was an exotic weapon because that's just uh, that's just who Bruce is. Like, of course, he would have like the vintage car, and the exotic weapon mm -hmm. and the et cetera, et cetera, because it's just, you know, he's a he's an art guy. It's part of his narrative. Yeah, that weapon was so cool. Um, so without spoiling anything, mm -hmm. how did you shoot the final scene? Like what was what was that final scene like in the moment? Because it's so long and wild. It was cold. It was uh, a little rocky. It was wet. <laughs> um, I'm still wearing this this uh, this rubber eye prosthetic or this uh, this latex mm -hmm. eye prosthetic that was sort of filling up with <clears throat> pebbles and dirt and fake blood <laughs> and rainwater. Um, the miracle I didn't get an eye infection. Uh, and I loved every second of it. I just loved that Travis was like, yes, by the way, we're gonna, we're gonna do this thing in, in one full film cartridge. We're gonna, you know, fire a full 11 minute cartridge on this, this action. And, um, that's the kind of thing I live for. That's, that's, uh, that's when, you know, you're working on something kind of magic. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of people ask me about, you know, hey, were you uncomfortable? They asked me often about my discomfort, but I was uh, so in my happy element. I was so, just so thrilled. Yeah, it's an amazing scene. It looks fun. It was fun to do, yeah. When I, I got to talk to Travis about the film a, a few weeks back, and one of the things I asked him was like asking about like whether he like got into a lot of Greek myths or looked at a bunch of art to to get you know into this did did you do any of that i did not actually i'm still learning now that the film is out and travis is sort of uh i guess it's less of travis and more 
the horror community and the art world community that are sort of uh, coalescing on social media that are posting sort of imagery from the works, not just of Leonora Carrington and beyond, but um, uh, but other other artists um, whose surrealist paintings, women artists whose surrealist paintings inspire the imagery and going like, oh my God, that one shot was inspired by this painting? Like, holy mackerel, it becomes an Easter egg for me as someone who just, you know, who did. I'm, I'm pretty unpro when it comes to that level of research. I probably, you know, on another planet I might be. Uh, I might have known as much as, or, or sought to learn as much as Travis. But um, that was for him as the artist, as the quote-unquote camp uh, director, camp counselor, guide to to orchestrate in our, um, you know, this like bloody summer camp of a time in Princeton, New Jersey. <laughs> it's just been such a thrill to see what all of it means and what imagery in the film itself has paid homage to. Um, it was almost like his sort of his little secret. And then you get to see all that, in, you know, one experience like that. This my, the first time I saw it at Tribeca, for example, I just go, oh, wow, that's what this is. It all came together so seamlessly and with such an interesting final product. Um, are there any other little details or tidbits that you think people might not catch that you'd like to share with us? Well, the, what I love, I didn't realize this at all. Um, uh, but I am a fan of, uh, Ridley Scott's, uh, little indie film called alien. And, um, the, the red owl, there's the surgery scene where, you know, in, in Bruce's, uh, fever dream or or is it he's witnessing the red owl be beheaded or his head like lasered off by these surgeons which is also an homage i perhaps i think to i think to to uh kate horner but i could be i could be making this up um the uh the skull of the red owl or the creature within is actually an uh, um an homage to the polish uh, movie poster for alien so oh, if you wow. look up, if you Google alien, alien, uh, Polish poster or, or Polish alien movie poster, you'll see that the thing in that scene is pretty much the, um, the pretty much the creature on the, uh, on that very poster. And I'm putting that together. She was like, wow, you, you went deep, man. Um, <laughs> what a striking image that was, but you know, I'm a, I'm a hell of, I consider myself a hell of a movie fan, clearly not, not that big in the art world. Uh, an art fan. Um, so for me to have learned that, that really, uh, that was really exciting. Wow. That is, that's so cool. <laughs> that yeah. So it's cool. pretty rad. Yeah. And so just, I don't know, just such a, such a rad detail. Mm -hmm. Well, Travis, we want to thank you so much. Uh, sorry, Josh, we want to thank you I so much. I love Travis. <laughs> no, no, it's an, it's an honor to be called Travis. Uh, thank you. No, it's a pleasure to, to be on the carnage report. My goodness. Is there any uh, other projects you've got coming up that you can uh, talk about? Uh, I've got a graphic novel coming out next year called Darla um, from the uh, the lovely folks at Invader Comics. It's a twisted little tale, um, sort of an homage to my love of Tales from the Crypt, the TV series, more so than the um, even the original comics. Uh, so hopefully people dig it. Um, oh, I'll, uh, I'll be posting more about the whens and wheres and such. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. That's awesome. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. Have a good one. You, you too. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Bye. Are we on to the I'll be right back? We are. All right. What do you have coming up? I got a stack of books from the library uh, the other day uh, when I was on my way home from work. And they are uh, one of which was uh, Climb of the Cornfield 2, Friendo Lives, uh, which is great. And now I'm just like working my way through like a stack of various horror novels. And then both of my um, Black Friday Blu-ray re like blu-ray 
purchases have shown up. So I have like six movies to watch. Um, I think tonight we're going to watch One Dark Night, um, which is out from the MVD Rewind collection. One of the movies that I got was, uh, and I didn't even order this, it just came for review, was uh, Synapse put out a Blu-ray of the 1976 Bigfoot movie Creature uh, from Black Lake. Um, And it looks amazing. It looks so good because it's lensed by Dean Cundy. Yeah. And so it looks amazing. Uh, Even if the Bigfoot does not look particularly big and definitely looks like a dude who has a bunch of bear fur glued to him. But uh, (laughs) it's enjoyable and it's fun. And it's a very like uh, it, it, it feels kind of like a made for TV movie. Like uh, it's got that same sort of vibe as like the town that dreaded sundown where you're just like, it's this weird mix of like horrific stuff and just like, <laughs> like goofiness, like, like Southern regional stuff. But um, I'm looking forward to watching my way through a stack of movies and reading my way through a stack of books this week um, nice. and trying to avoid doing anything deadline related. <laughs> responsible of you yeah yourself my list of movies that i need to watch or want to watch is a mile long there's so much good stuff i think the top two that i'm trying to get through this week and i that is not to say that it's a chore i really want to watch blood relatives which we've talked about and i got a screener for and also it probably is already on shutter uh uh scare package two rad chad's revenge I want you to watch I really, it I want to know what you think about it. <laughs> okay, I really want to see it because I loved Scare Package. It's dumb and fun, and I liked it a lot. Um, I'm also hoping to finish Midnight Club since I said I still have an episode left. And I am thoroughly enjoying, I know I keep bringing it up, but I want everyone to get into this. If you like reality TV, there's almost nothing that's horror-related, but Dragula Titans, this season of Dragula, that's basically an all-star season, on shutter has been really really good definitely their best season yet and you know they're releasing it one episode at a time so every wednesday really because i think it comes out tuesday at midnight and i don't stay up that late every wednesday i'm eager to catch the next episode before it gets spoiled for me who went home and who won Um, but it's been really good and if you are watching it talk to me about it because i would love to talk about it uh, the last episode was a wrestling challenge, so it really melded my my two worlds of things <laughs> that I enjoy entertaining myself with, uh, and it was hilarious. There were some really hilarious moments on it, and you, you know, I I'm hard pressed to say that it's actually scary, but they do make them do some things that I wouldn't do for all the money in the world, and they do them. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, I have so many like screeners that i want to watch and there's a bunch of stuff i want to watch in preparation for our the the well the yes. next episode um, which does bring me to it is time for the annual watch of gremlins so that'll <laughs> probably happen this week too <laughs> but yeah uh I, I i have like so many like holiday horror movies i want to watch and just like other holiday movies we did get we went um last weekend to go see a uh, national lampoon's christmas vacation in the theater which is the nice. first time i've ever seen it with a crowd and i thought like after seeing that movie like literally every year since it's been released uh i i had nothing to gain from it but um it was great it was hilarious and during the why is the floor wet margo i don't, I know, don't todd. know todd there was a like nine-year-old kid like way down in the front who yelled along i don't know todd and i wanted i have never wanted to like leave my seat and go give someone a high five in the middle of the floor but that kid deserved it oh margo and todd are the best we just watched that last night not at the movie not at the theater but at home we just watched it last night i just realized that because we saw wakanda forever last night that means two sundays in a row we've watched a movie with julia Louis dreyfus in it wow In the theater, no less. Impressive. Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> 25 years apart. 35. Uh, so anyhow, we've got stickers. And you can, we do. <laughs> you can email us at carnagereportpod at gmail.com if you'd like one. And we'll uh, get you instructions to get one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Report Carnage. Uh, like Nick said, you can email us at carnagereportpod at gmail. We would love to hear your thoughts, your suggestions. I guess we'd even take your complaints if you have some. 
you be constructive. Uh, anything you want to talk about, you want to talk about this episode, you want to talk about something you saw that you think maybe no one else saw and you're hoping we saw, give us a shout. Engage. We're here. Uh, all music featured in this episode is by Steve Spacek, my brother, who you can find on Instagram at Starling Woodworks and at nodder.bandcamp.com. Where can they find you online, Julie? I am Dark Humor Girl everywhere you're looking for me. And I do have that review of Wounded Fawn up on downrightcreepy.com. I haven't posted anything on modernhorrors.com in a while, but you can find archives there. How about you, Nick? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nuthouse Punks, Instagram, Nicholas Mouse. You can find my music and movie stuff at both uh, bitchkc.com and at starburstmagazine.com. The way you said that, it sounded like you said bitch KC. <laughs> That's a whole different paper. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next episode with another roundup of the latest news in horror where we talk all kinds of horror. Um, but we will be beginning and using as a jumping off point uh, Joe Bagos's upcoming shutter release Christmas Bloody Christmas. Julie, do you want to tell us all about it? Oh, boy, do I. It's Christmas Eve and fiery record store owner Tori Toombs just wants to get drunk and party until the robotic Santa Claus at a nearby toy store goes haywire and makes makes her night more than a little complicated. Santa Claus begins a rampant killing spree through the neon drenched snowscape against a backdrop of drugs, sex, metal, and violence, ultimately forcing Tori into a blood spattered battle for survival against the ruthless heavy metal Saint Nick himself. Has there ever been a better movie synopsis than that? <laughs> it's just like, if you don't want to see that, I don't want to hang out with you. Yeah, we're not friends, probably, if nothing <laughs> in there strikes your fancy. <laughs> if you like Joe Bagos, this is your jam. Yeah, I'm excited. So excited to talk about this and all kinds of other holiday horror, Christmas horror. Um, Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so much coming out this year. Oh, God, it's. It's a mountain, a mountain we're going to try to climb and get you as much of our thoughts on it as we can. Yep. So uh, we will be in in just in time for Christmas. Yay! Um, So yeah, join us, join us just before Christmas for that. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye.